Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. Today's show focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV Newsroom. I'm Christina Lulich. And I'm David Escobar. And here are this week's feature stories. Graffiti and street art are a big part of what makes walking around New York City so unique. But this art form does a lot more than just look pretty. WFUV's Isabel Danzis has more on the importance of street art in the New York community. It's hard to walk anywhere in New York City and not see graffiti. Colorful walls and paintings are ingrained in the city's culture, and for good reason. Patrick Barrell is the author of Graffiti Murals, exploring the impacts of street art. He says graffiti art shows that people appreciate a space enough to beautify it. This is obviously something, you know, that that shows that there's people care about this place. And that has a kind of um, a subtle effect, I think, on uh, the quality of life. And Verrill isn't alone in his beliefs about graffiti. One caught is a born and raised Bronx graffiti artist. He started his nonprofit, Boone Avenue Walls, in 2014. Every year, one and his team welcome graffiti artists from around the world to the Bronx to paint and clean up the area. He says the organization started when he painted in the area and noticed kids walking to school. I would see them precariously walking through piles of dog poop, drug needles. There was a bit of intermittent solicitation of drugs and prostitution and homelessness. Our people are walking through this quagmire and despair and utter disrepair and disregard. So, when took action? Something in me said, you know what? I'm going to clean this neighborhood up next year. And a bunch of friends got together and we swept and we picked up everything in that one block. And it just felt good. And we painted in a cleaner neighborhood. And then, you know, people were starting to thank us. And then we did it the following year and we started organizing. But when says the neighborhood's graffiti art goes deeper? He says it draws more people to the area and boosts the morale of those living there. Both neighborhoods look better. Both neighborhoods host art walks where you can just casually just walk up and down the neighborhoods. I've uh, conducted several workshops with the three schools that are located in the na- in a neighborhood. To one in Verrill, street art demonstrates appreciation for the area. And to Verrill, graffiti can even show off the spirit of community. But if you really stop and take a look at it and you do the math and you think about how all that went into it, you realize there was a lot of cooperation going on, a lot of collaboration, um, a lot of negotiation, right? And these are the things that are vital to a functioning society. But graffiti hasn't always been accepted. When Wen started graffiti, the art form was dangerous and illegal. It was very territorial. Uh, I could not just go into any neighborhood and write my name. You know, it was like gang-infused, so I need, if I wasn't from that neighborhood, it's like, hey, what are you doing here? And I would get chased and get bottles thrown at you or even beat up. But in recent years, graffiti art has become more mainstream. And Verrill and Wen say this change can at least be partially attributed to the institutional embrace of the art uh, form. A lot of artists um, that got their start on the street make their way to becoming wildly successful. But the graffiti world, I would say, really laid the foundation for what's going on in the art world today. The Banksies of the world today who are world famous, the Banksies, you know, the million dollar art paintings is a 
derivative, a direct derivative of the graffiti culture. Graffiti provides a lot to communities, both as a place for artists to express themselves or as a tool for community empowerment. I'm Isabel Dances, WFUV News. That was WFUV's Isabel Danzis on the role graffiti plays in New York City culture. The Partnership to End Addiction is a national organization working to prevent addiction and provide effective treatment for people and their families. I sat down with Emily Feinstein, the partnership's executive vice president, to learn more about her organization's work. It's part of our Strike Accord public service campaign highlighting organizations responding to the opioid epidemic. Why was the partnership to end addiction, why was it founded? Addiction costs our country trillions of dollars and costs families hundreds of thousands of lives. With the opioid epidemic, the need for effective solutions has never been greater. Addiction is a disease that can be prevented and treated, but most people have no idea what to do. That's why we were founded, to help people find answers. And can you talk a little bit more about the kinds of work that you do on the grounds at this organization. The folks at Partnership to End Addiction have been working for decades on solving this public health crisis. We help people know what to do by providing families and professionals with trusted information that's based in science and rooted in compassion. So we do a number of things to help people. We conduct research to figure out what works. We offer direct support for families who are caring for a loved one with addiction. We train healthcare providers in the best treatments, uh, particularly treatments for adolescents and young adults. We partner with communities to promote prevention and train people on how to do that work. And we suggest better policies that treat addiction like a public health issue and not a crime. What do you find most important about the work that your organization does overall? We've been studying addiction for decades. And we know that this is a solvable crisis. It really comes down to three things. Preventing addiction before it starts, getting people good treatment early when they need it, and engaging families. Because we know that when families are involved the right way, outcomes are better. So I think one of the most impactful things that we have done is bring the family voice into this discussion. Um, we've also highlighted the need for effective treatments targeted for adolescents and young adults. Because nine times out of 10, addiction starts during adolescence. We really know that in most cases, addiction starts with substance use during adolescence because the developing brain is more vulnerable to alcohol and drugs. So what we want to do is delay that first use as long as possible. And then if addiction does begin, we want to get people help they need. We want to treat it well and early. And for young people in particular, that means also involving the family. We offer free, confidential support, education, and coaching to family members who are concerned about a loved one's addiction. So we're talking about why you find this organization important. Are there any particular stories that stick out to you um, about the people that you've served? Absolutely. I have two. One young man in recovery shared that his mom was his number one support and the reason he made it through. One day when he was in early recovery, he asked his mom if he could read the text messages she was receiving from us through our Help and Hope program. And he said he literally cried because we got it right. Another mom shared with us that after working with us for a while, her child said to her, I love you. 
And she was astounded because she thought she might never hear that again. How can people support your organization in the work you're doing? Two thirds of adults in America say that either they personally or a family member has experienced addiction to alcohol or drugs or an overdose. Almost everybody knows someone with a family member who is struggling with addiction. People can help by reaching out and sharing information with them. Send them to our website, drugfree.org, so that we can help them. All of our family support is supported by donations. So, of course, we love it when people donate to help us. But there are other ways to get involved, too. Please sign up for our emails. You can volunteer. You can help spread the message. You can promote public awareness. That was my co-host David Escobar's conversation with Emily Feinstein, the executive vice president at the Partnership to End Addiction. To learn more about how you can get involved, visit drugfree.org. And that's it from us. But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap-up every week for more features exclusively from the WFUV newsroom. And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What daily podcast every weekday at 3 for the latest local news and feature stories from FUV. And as always, you can find out more at WFUVnews.org. I'm Christina Lulich. And I'm David Escobar. And that's What's What.